Very good. Uh, now, so to those on the live stream, sorry about the interview with Yumin. Uh, there's some things we can't talk about over the internet. Uh, we'd love to be able to talk to you about them in person, though. So if you want to join us or talk to me about it, I'm happy to do so. Uh, just a quick note for those who are here. If you like manuscripts, uh, some people have noted that my manuscripts are too small to read. Uh, there are now, if you go to the back of the pile, some large print manuscripts, if that helps you follow along. Um, hopefully that is useful to you as well. Let's pray uh, and we'll get underway. Uh, Father, there is nothing so magnificent as the things that we read about here that you have planned for us. Indescribable things because of the resurrection. Help us not to gloss over it, uh, but to drink in the, the beauty uh, of what you have planned and what it means for our lives. And so we pray that you would guide us this morning by your Holy Spirit. Amen. You have believed in vain. Could there be worse words to hear? The things that you have placed your hope in, your plans and expectations set your mind and energy towards are in vain. Now that could be as trivial as uh, your sports team winning the big game uh, and investing all your energy in that only to see yourself completely heartbroken. But it could be investing all your energy in study uh, and then not getting the grades you want to continue your life plans. It could be uh, desiring for things for a, for a friend or relative as a really severe sickness, only to believe in vain. Some of the Corinthians were in danger uh, of believing in vain. Have a look at uh, chapter 15, verses 1 and 2. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preach to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. So what could they have missed that would change them from having the gospel, the life-giving gospel, to vain belief? It's the resurrection. Have a look at how Paul talks about this in verse 12. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? And if there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless. And so is your faith. Let me ask you this, outside of funerals, how often do you think about the resurrection? How essential is it to the gospel that you claim to believe? Because without the resurrection, we might as well pack up this room now, turn this into a conference centre. The resurrection is not some epilogue to the cross, a nice little happy ending story. The facts of the gospel are secured by Jesus' physical, historical resurrection from the dead. 
We have believed in vain without it. Now, when my wife Haley was pregnant with uh, Addie, our first child, we stumbled across this verse that has become, uh, that became our prayer as parents. Uh, it's a verse that uh, has come to kind of define my whole life. If you want to know who Paul Kupke is, why he thinks what he thinks, why he considers uh, some things important, uh, why he's about what he's about, it's right here in verses 3 and 4 of 1 Corinthians 15. For what I received, I passed on as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised again on the third day according to the Scriptures. That's my life. It's really the only thing that I must do. There's a lot of things that I'd like to do, but this one is essential. Today we go through this incredible chapter to discover why. And we're going to spend a lot of time reading it because it speaks so well on its own. Jesus' resurrection guarantees our own, giving us hope and purpose. That's our big idea today. It's utterly transformative for the Christian life. And if you find yourself here today uh, kind of looking in on Christianity, trying to figure out if it's worth it, this is key. Because the resurrection is the difference between hope and vain belief, between purpose and futility. So let's have a look. Firstly today then, the resurrection is true history. There is nothing more foreign to human experience than resurrection. We know death. We know what it means to put someone in a tomb. We don't know resurrection. No culture in human history has. It's not like the ancient peoples were idiots. They didn't expect this either. And yet Jesus' physical, historical resurrection is so important that Paul will stake the credibility of the whole Christian faith on that one event being true. The scriptures, which is in the case of Paul's writing, the Old Testament, make sense of the historical events that happened outside Jerusalem 2,000 years ago at the cross and the empty tomb. They point towards them. They give meaning to them. Read again from 1 Corinthians 15 verse 3. For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures that he was buried, and that he was raised again on the third day, according to the Scriptures. These events come as the climax of the long story of Scripture between God and humanity, a relationship that was broken by sin, of God's promises of salvation, 
forgiveness and a home with him forever. They come according to the scriptures. But the resurrection was not just predicted in scripture, it was witnessed in history. Have a look at verse 5. And that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. And after that he, which is Jesus resurrected, appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James and then to all the apostles. And last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. Paul lists more than 500 witnesses to the historical events of the resurrection sightings. In the book of Acts, the apostles are regarded as witnesses to the resurrection. The point is that if you're an original recipient of this letter and you're not sure whether it happened or not, you can go and ask someone to find out and verify it. So, 2,000 years later, how do we? Well, the first thing to note is legitimate historians actually take that question seriously. It's a conundrum for them. And for four reasons. One, there is no comparative historical event. There's no precedent for the belief that someone would rise to life again in time. What we have here is not comparative to any of the ancient myths. It's in a very different category. Disciples, no one was expecting this. Number two, the claims come at a very early date. Almost instantaneously with the events themselves or exactly the same time. This is not a sort of a developing um, myth that comes in time. If it was made up, it could have been, but it had to be made up at the very beginning. At the time when people were still alive to check if it was true or to refute it if it wasn't. Three, historians are pretty confident the tomb was empty. That's kind of where all the evidence points. Even the opposition uh, in Jerusalem to, uh, to the message was sort of convinced that the tomb was empty. And then fourth, it's pretty clear that the disciples thought they had seen Jesus alive. They go from being uh, terrified and cowering in fear to be willing to be absolutely bold and courageous for this idea that they had seen Jesus alive. None of them crack to say that it's untrue even to the point of violent death. So what explains that evidence? Something strange happened. And when you put it together, you have all the evidence that you would expect to see if someone really did rise from the dead. You have an early date. You have an empty tomb. You have people who claim to be witnesses. And so if you believe in a God who could raise someone from the dead, you have no reason not to believe that Jesus physically rose from the dead in history. So the resurrection is true history. Second, the resurrection is victory. 
Paul makes it clear that there is no gospel if there's no resurrection. Have a look at verse 17. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. Stakes are high. Death is the result of and punishment of sin. The wages of sin is death. And therefore, without the resurrection, there can be no escaping sin. If Christ died and remained dead, he is no different than any other sinful human. Like everyone else who's represented by Adam, he remains under judgment. And yet, when Jesus emerges from the grave in history, he is victorious over death. He's vindicated. God marks him as innocent, proven sinless. And that means the sin that he died for can't have been his own. It must have been ours. The resurrection stamps the cross as effective. It's like one of those old stamps you put on bills that you sign, paid in full. You are no longer in your sins. You are forgiven. And not only that, but you are not lost to death. Have a look at verse 20. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all we made alive, but each in turn. Christ the first fruits, and then when he comes, those who belong to him. We've got a lot of raspberries in our garden. Uh, they're a late sort of fruiting variety. We really, the bulk of them start coming in March. By Christmas, we'll normally pick kind of a few, a few berries. Uh, and that uh, tart, sweet flavour of that first berry as it's plucked off the cane is a promise of hundreds more to come. That sneaky one you get as you sneak around the back and eat it in the veggie patch before anyone sees uh, is, a, is an indication that there will be kilogram a week of them coming later in the season. That's first fruits. The resurrection of Jesus Christ guarantees our own resurrection. As king, he goes first. Our king has fought the climactic battle and where his feet now tread, his people will follow. That last enemy of every human since Adam, death, is conquered, destroyed, 
crushed under Jesus' foot. His resurrection is the first of many. Death gives way in Christ to life. When he returns, even the presence of death will be no more. This is not merely a spiritual victory. So often when we uh, think about what happens when we die, we think about going to heaven. Rarely we think about our body being reunited with our soul in a physical body. And yet I want you to think about the resurrected Jesus that we follow. We have no categories for what he was like. He can walk through walls and yet you can rub your finger on the scars of his body. He can appear uh, in an instant and yet he can chew a piece of fish for breakfast. He can withhold knowledge of who he is or be recognized instantly. And so Paul tries to describe the undescribable. In three pictures, this is towards the end of the chapter, he gives us the certain confidence that we will have a body. And we'll just take the first one for today because of time. Uh, have a look at halfway through verse 36. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. When you sow, you do not plant the body that will be, but just a seed, perhaps of wheat or of something else. But God gives it a body as he is determined, and to each kind of seed he gives its own body. When a seed gets planted in the dirt, what emerges is the same plant as the seed. There is continuity with what has gone before. But that when the full completion emerges, it is great in a way that we cannot imagine purely from looking at that seed. Let's look at verse 42. So it will be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown perishable is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. That is a body in contrast to our nat natural, frail, um, immortal bodies. What is sown? Uh, when our body is sown into the grave or into the cremation chamber, what is raised will still be us but it'll be far beyond what we can possibly imagine. The body you have now is just a seed. The tiredness you feel, the limp that you walk with, 
the limitation or the disability that you lament. It's just a seed, perishable, aged, dishonoured, weak. What will emerge is a glorious resurrection body fit to last for eternity. Verse 54. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us through victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Resurrection is victory. And then finally, Resurrection is purpose. Most of what I achieve in my life will eventually go in the bin. My trophies, my awards, the certificates from my study, the thank you notes that I've been written. All my possessions will eventually age and fade and just be thrown out. The memories... Uh, and the great experiences of my life will die with me. My wealth, whatever there is of it, will go to others. And I have no idea whether they'll use it well. With the exception of my family, within a couple of decades I'll be forgotten. We began this chapter with the possibility of having lived in vain. It's a lot closer than you realise. Psalm 39 says this, You have made my days a mere handbreadth. The span of my years is as of nothing to, before you. Everyone is but a breath, even those who seem secure. Surely everyone goes about like a mere phantom. In vain they rush about, heaping up wealth, without knowing finally whose it will be, whose it will finally be. I'm not trying to drive you to despair. But I am trying to tell you there is a purpose that goes beyond this life. There is something that is not in vain. Paul doesn't discuss the theology of the resurrection for its own sake, but rather for the immediate and uh, practical and powerful implications for those who manage to grasp it. There is a purpose that goes beyond the grave. Have a look at verse 58. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that the labour of the Lord 
is not in vain. Steadfast commitment to the Lord and his calling is not in vain. So what is that labour? Everything that we do is to be done for God's glory, whether we eat, drink, sleep or work. Paul's already said that in chapter 10, verse 31. And yet what is imagined here has a narrower focus than that. Uh, An embedded partnership in what the Lord is explicitly doing in our world. All of the Corinthians are in view. All of us sitting here today are in view. This partnership is for all of us. Now, lots of work is good, but as I've already outlined, most of it's not going to last. The resurrection urges us to prioritise the gospel, bringing people to faith, maturing people in the faith, will last forever, bearing fruit into eternity. This invites us to a radical recalibration about the way we view work, wealth and opportunities for everyone. These things cannot be ends in themselves but rather shaped by gospel mission that lasts. And for some, this will mean giving yourself full time to the work of the Lord in order to equip everyone else for it. I recently read a book called Do Hard Things. It's written by an athletics performance coach about the science of resilience and toughness. It doesn't come from a Christian um, viewpoint, but there's a lot of things that if you have a Christian viewpoint, make a lot of sense. Research into people's abilities to persist in various domains, whether that's cycling or maths or kind of raising donations, had one factor that kept popping up. Those who persisted had different goals. They weren't driven by fear, guilt, pressure or money. They were pursuing a goal because it aligned with who they were. Consider Paul in verse 10. By the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. The science says that meaning and purpose give us a way to work through suffering and hardship. The resurrection is a game changer. If the future is not to be experienced, today is all we have. Party on. If there is no resurrection from the dead, much of what Christians do is foolish. This hard race is worth running, but only because the end is Christ. 
and sharing in his resurrection. Grace being at work and shaping who you are. Paul basically says this a couple of times over. Have a look at verse 19. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. And in verse 30, And as for us, why do we endanger ourselves every hour? I face death every day. Yes, just as surely as I boast about you in Christ Jesus our Lord. If I fought wild beasts in Ephesus with no more than human hopes, what have I gained? If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. If there was no gospel... I wouldn't live the way I do. My guess is that I'd probably work really hard for the sake of leisure. I'd take a lot of Sundays off and far more long weekends. I'd avoid the late nights out, the difficult conversations, pouring my heart into passing the gospel on. And the pressure of concern for God's people. They're not paid ministry things. They're gospel things. With the spare time I gained, I'd probably buy a boat and spend more time fishing. I'd get through all the Netflix shows that I kind of want to watch and the books that I want to read. I might even be able to keep on top of my garden. If this world is all there is, just live for fun. There's no reason for paying the cost of Christianity if it's just for this life. I have my days where pursuing God wholeheartedly is tough. But I've never seriously considered living any other way, either as an engineer or as a minister. Jesus rose again. Death has been defeated. Everything is different. Life is just a brief moment in eternity. What does the cost matter now? Now that's not to say we never experience the really good things that God has given us in this lifetime. Fishing, Netflix, the garden, families and holidays. Even in the battles of wartime, they pulled the soldiers back from the front for a period to experience moments of rest and peace. To be reminded of what they were fighting for and to be refreshed to go back and do it all again. You cannot sustain the Christian life if you are driven by fear, guilt, pressure or money. Grace makes us what we are. Resurrection means purpose. Verse 
we are partnered with a God of love. The one who gave sacrificially, not because he was forced to, but because he loved. He was glad to. The resurrection calls us to say no to drifting and no to coasting. Not because we must, but because our lives are no longer the same. The grace of God realigns who we are. Jesus' historical resurrection guarantees our own. And it gives us hope and purpose. The thrust of 1 Corinthians, this journey that we've been taking through this letter, lands us in the hope of the resurrection body. In the messy Corinthian church. In the midst of brokenness and divisions and challenges of this life. The resurrection is the glory that we're heading to. Therefore, brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord. Because you know that your labour in the Lord is not in vain. Amen. Let's pray. Father, what a privilege it is to have resurrection hope. To know that our King Jesus went before us as the scriptures predicted and died on the cross for our sins and rose again that his resurrection would be the first of many. We say that's true. We say we believe those things. Father, please transform us by your grace that we wouldn't live this life that we have now in vain. Give us a resurrection hope that is not just for funerals, but is for five minutes from now and for three days from now and 27 years from now if you give us that long. Father, give us resurrection hope that makes us stand firm and work hard in the grace that we've given, been given to pass that gospel on as of first importance. Amen.